It's the Garden Nerd Tip of the Week podcast, where we spend time chatting with expert gardening guests and we ask for their favorite tip. I'm Christy Wilhelmy. Thanks for joining me. It's change of pace day on the podcast, just you and me, garden nerds. This week, I'm going to answer a bunch of questions that came in on Facebook for spring gardening. I've grouped them together by common or similar uh, topics, so let's dive right in. The first two questions come from Ray Doherty, or Doherty, sorry Ray, I don't remember how to pronounce your name, he's a friend from Swing Dancing back in the day, and from Anna Cummins of the Five Gyres Institute, thank you both for writing in. Ray asks, when I plant seeds, I usually plant three to a hole and later remove the two weakest looking seeds. Is that a waste of seeds? That's a great question. And no, it is not a waste of seeds. Two or three in a planting hole is kind of common. And I usually use shears or scissors to remove the two weakest of the seedlings. The trick, if you want to only have to plant one seed, is to do a germination test on your seeds beforehand. But that requires a little bit of time. What you do is you take a paper towel, you put 10 seeds on the paper towel, you close up the paper towel, you run water over it, put it in a plastic bag, leave that plastic bag open, but put it above, you know, above your refrigerator in a place where it has kind of warm moisture and leave it for the amount of time that it says on the packet for germinating seeds. And then open it up and see how many sprouted. If five sprouted, you've got a 50% germination rate, so you'll want to double up on your seeds. If you're closer to 100%, you may only need to put one seed in each hole. Okay, Anna's question. I've been wondering if one can safely transplant bolted plants. I have several lettuce plants that are bolting, and I want to save the seeds, but I really want the space in the garden for new plants. Oh, that's a great question. You know what, Anna? I'm going to say... You may want to just leave the lettuces bolting in the plot and then add plant your new seeds around them. And then when the time comes, when those seeds have dried up and you can harvest them, just cut the root off below the soil level and leave the roots in the soil to decompose. The, the reason why I say this is because if you do try and transplant the lettuce, they're probably not going to survive. And if you want to save those seeds, that's your goal. So leave the plants in place. The other thing you can do, some people will pull the plants early and hang them upside down in a dark place and let the seeds mature that way. I can't guarantee that they are actually going to mature because they have to get to a certain point, at least past the green stage of setting seeds before they will start to actually dry down properly for you. So that's my suggestion. All right, two questions in the next category are from Eileen Fogarty, who you may know from Better Call Saul and F is for her family, and from a friend, Anne-Marie Penny. Okay, first, Eileen's question. She asks, how do I keep insects from eating my leafy greens like kale? We have raised beds with a cage, so it's not animals. Help! Okay, so the question of what's eating your leafy greens inside the cage could be a number of things. It depends on how how big the holes are in your cage and whether you have any breaches around. If the tips of your lettuces and your kale are being eaten, I hate to say it, but you probably have a rat getting through. If it's not, if it's holes nibbled in the plants here and there, it's probably grasshoppers or cabbage worms. So grasshoppers are really active right now during the spring, so they seem to be able to get in wherever and eat things. Cabbage worms are the larvae of these those white cabbage moths, the little white butterflies that fly around. They lay their eggs on the undersides of your 
brassicas, like kale, and they're eggs are almost invisible. They're chartreuse green and they stand out like a little pin from the undersides of the leaves. So you have to search carefully and know what to look for and brush those off. And once you brush them off, they can't survive. So they will not turn into cabbage worms and eat your stuff. Anne-Marie Penny's question asks, what's eating my Brussels sprout leaves? It was caterpillars, but now they're completely gone but it is still something poking holes and chewing the edges that is not a caterpillar. So my suggestion here, if you don't see any of those cabbage worm eggs that I mentioned a moment ago, then what you were looking at probably is sow bugs or earwigs. Here's what I recommend around that. Because these are members of the soil food web and they do have a purpose, but sometimes their populations are too high and you need to bring them down a little bit. I like to use diatomaceous earth for earwigs and sow bugs. Basically you have to apply it while the soil is dry and your plants are not wet. The diatomaceous earth is a what feels like flower to us but it is actually shards of fossilized single-celled organisms from a billion years ago and they poke holes in earwigs and sow bugs, desiccate them, and then they die. So you can sprinkle diatomaceous earth around each plant and that will help reduce the population a bit. Also, a trick for earwigs I learned from a friend who now lives in Australia is a bowl of olive oil buried up to the soil level. They love olive oil and they go in and drown happy. So try that. Anne-Marie and Eileen Fogarty and keep inspecting for cabbage worms because like I said those eggs are tiny and really hard to find. Also go out at night and put on a headlamp, bring a flashlight, go out at night and inspect your plants. A lot of critters are nocturnal. They show up at night and they're gone by morning and then you'll never know who came. But if it's not snails or slugs, which leave a slimy trail, and usually you can tell, it's going to be some of these night crawlers that show up at night, do their dirty work, and then disappear by morning. So, go out at night with a flashlight. There's an REM song for that, by the way. Okay, on to the next set of questions. We have four questions that all center around fungi in the garden in a bad way. Now, there's good fungi and bad fungi, and I'm going to talk about that in a minute. But first, let's address the questions from Kyle Hollingsworth, Julie Jacobson, Tamara Berg, and Annalise Bremer. Kyle asks, what is this white film on my shrubs? And Annalise Bremer asks, these roses and some around it have a serious problem. Any good suggestions? We've been using bio-advanced all-in-one rose and flower care, but it does nothing so far. Okay, that my friends, is powdery mildew. Powdery mildew shows up in certain conditions where moisture and heat just happen to time it out perfectly, where one follows the other, where usually heat follows moisture. And powdery mildew is a fungus that blooms on the surface of leaves like your squash plants, your roses, your, well, a lot of things. And it usually shows up in conditions where there isn't a lot of air circulation meaning plants are crowded together or they're tucked in a corner with a lot of hedgerow plants or under the shadow of a tree, that kind of thing. And so powdery mildew is something where it's really important to try and balance your soil with good fungi to combat the bad fungi. Yes, you can use sprays, but as Annalise mentioned, it doesn't always work. And commercial chemical fungicides 
wipe out the good fungi along with the bad fungi. So your, your defense mechanism is being wiped out along with the problem. So let's talk about the soil food web. The soil food web are the microbes in your soil, the fungi, the bacteria, the protozoa, the nematodes, and then they get to the bigger things like the earwigs and the sow bugs and the, and the worms that we talked about a little earlier. The balance of fungi in the soil is really important, and the way to improve good fungi in your soil is to put down mulch. Chip bark, in particular, is a really great way to help feed the fungi in your soil. And when you increase the population of good fungi in your soil, it will help outcompete the bad fungi. Now, that said, we live in a coastal area where most of these people are, are sending in their complaints about this. And powdery mildew travels on the ocean air and it is part of our lives. So when you see powdery mildew blooming on leaf surfaces, the very first thing I do is trim off the affected stuff because it spreads. The second thing you can try is a couple of things. One, there is a product called Serenade, which is a, a bacteria that actually eats the fungi. Now, it doesn't really make it go away, but it does help reduce the spread. And if you apply it before you start to see powdery mildew, it helps protect the plant from getting it. Another thing, and this is where I go most often, is to apply compost tea in a foliar spray and in the soil because again, it helps fortify the soil with the proper balance of fungi. It helps outcompete these other fungal infestations. You can either brew your own compost tea, which is a fun project for coronavirus lockdown, or you can hire someone to come spray compost tea for you. Here in Southern California, we have a wonderful supplier called Compost Tina, T-E-A-N-A, and Sherry Powell is the owner and she helps keep people's gardens in check, and brings balance back to soils. So that's someplace you can check it out. All right, other two questions that have a similar but different problem from Julie Jacobson and Tamara Berg. Uh, Julie asks, we've got this funk on our hibiscus. It gets like stringy, fine, wispy threads on the undersides of the leaves. What is it? Now that, my friend, is whitefly. Whitefly are sucking insects like mealybugs and aphids that find a home most often on the underside of hibiscus and in your houseplants, like tucked into the very base of your orchids and that kind of thing. Now, what you can do is jet blast them off, but that sort of releases the hounds. So one of the first things I do to help fortify the plant, because when sucking insects show up, like aphids and mealybugs and whitefly, that is a sign that the plant is weak. So the first thing I do is put down worm castings, a layer of worm castings, which you can buy at most nurseries and even some big box warehouses, but you can also have your own worm bin. And that's the best source of worm castings, of course, but if you can't, you can pick it up at a nursery. Worm castings have this little enzyme in them called chitinase. Chitinase, it's spelled like chitinase, C-H-I-T, um, E-N-I-S-E or E-S-E, I forget, but I'm not writing it down. Anyway, chitinase happens to dissolve the exoskeletons of soft-bodied insects, so it's a really good idea to put that down around any ailing plant that is being attacked by bugs because the plant will take the chitinase up into its system, into its root system, up into the leaves, and when the bugs start eating, they take in that chitinase and they say, why am I falling apart? And they leave. So you'll help reduce the population by jet blasting it off, or some people use neem oil, which is safe for organic use, and it suffocates the pest. Uh, but then 
also put down a layer of worm castings around the plant, water it in really well, and you'll see an improvement in a couple of weeks. You can reapply worm castings every month if you need to until the plant is healthy again. Tamara's question goes back to a fungal infestation. I've got rust-colored fungus on my roses. I've been spraying with dish soap and baking soda solution, but it can't seem to get rid of it. Advice? Okay, Tamara, the solution I recommended for Kyle and Annalise's question called Serenade also helps with rust issues. It's another fungus and it's something where the population has gotten out of balance and it's a good idea to put down uh, put down some mulch to help fortify the soil and feed the fungi in your soil and apply compost tea if you can. Serenade will help fight it back and also you want to remove carefully the leaves that are affected, bag them and throw them into your green bin. Don't leave them in the garden because rust, once it's in the soil, is there kind of forever. So this is again where I come back to treating the soil soil rather than spraying the plant. We want to fortify the soil to outcompete the rust so that everything else starts to come back into balance. So those were my soil and plant weakness questions. Let's move on to a question from Warner Monroe, a friend of mine from Bang back in my improv days. Warner asks, how hard is it to grow and harvest wheat? And can a community garden plot grow enough to make it worth it? I will be honest with you, Warner, I've never grown a full community garden plot full of it. I've done as much as a 4x4 raised bed, and that yields about three cups of grain, which is enough for it to be a novelty and to mix into my existing flour for bread making or crackers. Uh, But if you're planning on growing enough to sustain yourself, you will need at least 100 square feet if you plant biointensively, which is the information that is found in John Jevons' book, How to Grow More Vegetables Than You Ever Thought Possible on Less Land Than You Can Imagine. If you use hexagonal planting on, I think it's four-inch centers, meaning all seeds are planted four inches apart in offset rows, then you can grow enough to make one loaf of bread a week, according to Jevons' research. So that's, uh, you know, if you can get 100 square feet and grow wheat, go for it. If not, then, you know, it's really just for fun. I grow it mainly for the, for the fun of it and to know how to grow wheat. And I also grow it because the biomass makes really good uh, food for the compost bin. So that's why I grow wheat. Our next question comes from our friend Trisha Pancio. She asks, do you have any companion planting recommendations for citrus trees? Yes, as a matter of fact, I do. First, before I go into this, I just want to say that citrus trees have a very shallow root system, so don't plant anything directly under the tree, either where the root zone is or out to the leaf canopy. So you want to plant things around the citrus tree, but not under it. And things that grow well with citrus. So there are some trees that are in a permaculture guild that includes citrus. And those include things like guava, live oak, or rubber tree plants. So if you do have any of those in your yard already, feel free to tuck a citrus tree nearby. As far as vegetables go, uh, garlic is beneficial to growing with citrus trees. Also, any native pollinator seed mix is going to be helpful in attracting pollinators to your garden to help pollinate those citrus flowers when they bloom. Any umbels, meaning flowers or herbs, that when they bloom, they form an umbrella-shaped flower, and that attracts beneficial pollinators to the garden as well. 
Umbles are things like cilantro, parsley, celery, fennel, dill, and flowers like alyssum, queen anne's lace, yarrow, those kinds of things. Those are umbels. And if you tuck those anywhere in your yard and let them go to seed, let them get a little ugly, they will help bring pollinators to your yard and pest control, by the way. Umbels in particular bring parasitic wasps, which are little tiny gnat-like creatures that poke holes in aphids and lay their young inside them, which is pretty much a benefit to everybody except the aphids. All right. Thank you all for all of your questions. It is now tip time. And my tip for you this week, because we are about to head into another heat wave here in Los Angeles, where the temperatures will be in the 90s or above, is shade cloth. Shade cloth is your friend. If you happen to have any lying around, throw it over your lettuces, your radishes, your arugula, your mustard greens, any of your tender greens, kale, If you're growing broccoli or cauliflower or anything like that, throw your shade cloth over that. You don't even have to build a structure for it. It will be light enough to drape over those things. However, if you do want to put up some stakes on the edges and in the middle and drape the shade cloth over the top of that, that will help them stay cooler and be less likely to bolt to seed in the hot weather that's coming soon. So that's my tip of the week, and that's it for the Garden Nerd Tip of the Week podcast this week. You'll find links to resources that we talked about during this podcast on GardenNerd.com this week. Subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Visit us for tons of free gardening information at GardenNerd.com. Show your support for this podcast and the other free stuff on Garden Nerd by becoming a Patreon subscriber. You'll find us on Instagram and Twitter under GardenNerd1, on Facebook as GardenNerd.com, and of course, our Garden Nerd YouTube channel. Happy gardening!